I'm going to read chapter 10, a chapter entitled Invisible Realms, from my book, Out of the Comfort Zone. Hold on. Allow me to share a couple of hair-raising experiences with you. Because I know no liar will enter the kingdom of heaven, the following incidents, which are only two of a number of similar experiences, don't have a tinge of half-truth or exaggeration. They are the gospel truth exactly as they happened. While I was a speaker in a church youth camp, an 18-year-old named John stepped into my cabin late at night and told me he was having problems. After talking to him for a while, I told him that we would pray about his troubles. As I began to pray, he slumped off the bunk on which he was sitting onto the floor. Then he groaned, rolled over onto his back, arched his body and began pushing himself backwards across the floor. Having the gift of perception, I realized this wasn't normal behavior. In the book of Mark, Jesus said, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. So I began to use the name of Jesus in what is called exercising prayer. The demons in John screamed, hissed, and manifest with such velocity that saliva from his mouth hit a chest of drawers eight or nine feet from where he lay. With the help of God, I cast the spirit of rebellion from him and then asked a friend who had come in to see what the noise was about to get John a drink of water. When John came back to himself, I asked what he had been involved in that got him into such a state. Turned out that he had been listening to occult-based heavy metal music and drinking blood. He and his girlfriend, under the influence of marijuana, would get a cup of blood from the local butcher and drink it in a satanic rite. The essence of Satanism is rebellion. Those who give their wills over to occult influences will find a compelling urge to rebel against everything wholesome and good, against everything the kingdom of God stands for. That's why their ceremonies include blood drinking rituals. God says that blood is sacred, so they desecrate it. God loves children. That's why they have child sacrifices. God says the human body is to be covered. That's why their ceremonies are often conducted completely naked, etc. The second incident happened after I'd been preaching in the square in New Zealand. Two girls approached me and said that they wanted to talk about something personal. I asked if it was about demons. Surprised, they said it was. One of the girls was having continual blackouts. For no apparent reason, she would black out at various times of the day. The blackouts became so frequent that the girls suspected something spiritual was involved. I told them to come to my office at 2 p.m. that afternoon. This was while Sue and I were running the Drug Prevention Center in the dome of the Regent Theater building. The girls arrived precisely at 2 p.m. Frankly, I was surprised that they'd showed up. I ushered them into my office and began to question the one with the problem. Besides blackout, she was having suicidal thoughts, and after some probing, I learned that she hated her father. At that point, someone came into the center, so I said I'd pray for her after I served the customer. As I stood at the counter, suddenly her friend burst from my office in tears and blurted out that the young lady was writhing on the floor. The customer left rather quickly. I raced back to my office and found her crawling on her hands and knees, groaning and screaming and making animal-like noises. Once again, my astute perception told me that this was not normal behavior for a young lady. I commanded the spirit to manifest itself so that I'd know how to pray. No, no, it screamed. I persisted. It shrieked, hate, hate. I named the spirit of hate and commanded it to leave. If you find this hard to believe, consider how I felt. You're only reading about it. I found myself right in the midst of something supernatural, illogical, and irrational, 
but I couldn't deny its reality. Another spirit identified itself as suicide. I said, these are personalities. What is your name? Soul, it screamed. How long have you been in this person? 12 years. How did you gain access? Easily. During the manifestation, the spirits referred to the teenager as her. That is, they were separate from her personality. Finally, after I prayed for about an hour, she came to herself and seemed free. I told her, we'll call her Jane, to become a Christian or she would end up in a worse state than she had been. I began to question Jane about her past. She told me that about 12 years ago, at the age of seven, she began talking with a friend. This friend was invisible, but was very real to Jane. So real, in fact, that she asked her mother if he could come to dinner. He used to tell Jane stories. They were bad ones that started off good if she was in a good mood, and good ones if she was in a bad mood. A few days later, I received a card from Jane thanking me for praying with her. She said that she now felt free. On the card, she gave a reference to a Bible verse that she said meant a lot to her. We turned to it, and it didn't make any sense, as it was about the wrath of God. This remained a mystery until some time later. I advised her to get rid of everything that gave her contact with the occult. She was wearing occult bracelets, which we knew had some sort of demonic influence, and around her neck she wore a silver fairy, which I told her she should destroy. Unfortunately, as I found out later, Jane didn't heed my advice. Two weeks later, she called to say that she was experiencing more blackouts. I told her to come and see me right away. Twenty minutes later, her friend yelled to me from the top of the stairs leading to the center. Jane had begun to experience a demonic manifestation halfway up the stairs. When I got down to her, she was leaning against the wall, stiff and motionless. I managed to get up another ten steps, but as soon as she turned the corner, she ran ahead and threw herself headlong over the balcony. I automatically ran after her, grabbed her, and screamed for help. Two friends who were in the center rushed to assist me. I held Jane by her legs while the rest of her dangled over the 20-foot drop to the floor below. I knew I had her life in my hands. I don't know how I hung on as her body weight was over the point of balance and with everything she had, she was trying to fall. We managed to pull her back and carried her to my office. As soon as we began to pray, Jane grasped her fairy necklace. She held it so tight that the blood drained out of her knuckles. It took me about 30 seconds to loosen it from her hand. I walked across to the other side of the office to an 8-inch long piece of railway track that sat on my desk. At the time I was still making a few leather jackets for people and I used the metal as a base to hammer domes into jackets. Jane was in a blackout state behind me. Two people stood between her and me. I had my back to her, so there was no way she could see what I was doing. I took the ornament and smashed it with a hammer. God is my witness. The second that hammer hit the necklace, the demons in her screamed. I hit it five times, and each instant the hammer came down upon it, the spirits in her screamed in terror. It was like something out of a horror movie. I picked the pieces up and threw them out of the window to the ground five stories below. Over the next few hours, 12 spirits named themselves and came out of her. The first one to leave was called Joseph Smith. Jane apparently had contact with Mormonism and had even been baptized by them. The other spirits named themselves as mocking, lying, deceit, schizophrenia, false tongues, music, affliction, soul, Mirinda, strength, and Lucifer, which I would think was a lying spirit. 
The two that had the greatest stronghold were Strength and Mirinda. I commanded, Mirinda, what is your function? What do you do? I caused blackouts. Jane had been having blackouts since her early teens. During this time, Jane writhed across the floor, screaming, groaning, and choking. The spirits tried constantly to afflict her. On three occasions, she grabbed lamp cords and tried to strangle herself. It took all the strength of four of us to hold her down. She kept hitting her head against the wall or the floor, and she'd pull her hands free and attempt to gouge her eyes out. I heard of one young man who actually did so recently while being held in a police cell. At one stage, I noticed that she, in a total blackout state, put her hand down her blouse, pulled a safety pin off her clothing, and with incredible dexterity, undid it with two fingers and attempted to swallow it. As I ripped it from her fingers, the spirit said, I'm going to kill. I replied that it couldn't harm us because we were Christians. It spat out, not you, her. Jane lay in the corner in a blackout state. Every time we prayed, she would scream and strength would reveal itself by making her very strong. We found that if we named the spirit and commanded it to relax, it would obey our command. Jesus said, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's Luke 10 verse 20. For no apparent reason, she began sucking her thumb like a baby. So I said, Jane, I want you to answer, not Marinda. Marinda, you must stay relaxed. You must obey. Jane, tell me what happened to you when you were a baby. She writhed in anguish. They're taking me away from my mother. No, no. Jane, who was adopted, then spoke in a clear voice about her scarred childhood. She told us of a father who didn't love her. She talked about a seance at school in which a spirit was manifest who said that Jane's friend would die in a car accident. The girl, aged 12, was terrified. She became afraid to even get into a car. She was killed at the age of 14 when one struck her as she stood on a sidewalk. This left Jane completely filled with fear. I always believed that hypnotism was delving into the spirit realm, but something happened during this time to confirm that fact. Even the snap of my fingers, as done by hypnotists, could either put her under or take her out of a blackout state. She then spoke of different pains that she had suffered through her youth. I asked her what significance her fairy necklace had. She said that it gave her a feeling of power over people, saying that as she held it, it caused her to freak out. I asked her about the card that she sent me. I said, the scripture reference that you gave me in Psalm 58, Jane interrupted, not Psalm 58, Psalm 56, verse 9. We turned to it and read it aloud. When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. The moment that scripture was read, Marinda manifested with Jane screaming in terror. It became clear that Marinda and all her works needed to be renounced and turned from by a conscious act of Jane's will. Jane then verbally renounced Marinda and everything associated with the demonic realm and freely confessed that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, according to 1 John 4, 2 and 3. The next day, Jane came into the center and said she was totally set free, and this time she was. Although she was bruised, she didn't remember a thing after reaching that halfway point on the stairs. If hearing these things has made you fearful, put your trust in God. Believe the scripture that says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If you've never repented and put your faith in Jesus, go to livingwaters.com 
or just witnessing our second YouTube channel, watch the gospel and obey it. Repent and trust alone in Jesus. You may like to read the whole book out of the comfort zone. Believe it or not, it's a very encouraging book. You can get it through livingwaters.com or wherever good books are sold.